one of the foundational tenets of the gospel, something that's preached from every church pulpit almost every week across all of Christendom is the idea that Jesus had to die on a cross. He had to shed his blood to pay for the sins of humanity. And he had to do this, of course, because one, we're sinners and we are in need of a savior. And two, because though we are sinners, even if we decide to repent and turn from those sins, we have no way to make that payment, to pay that debt to God. We have no way to do that ourselves. And so the entire gospel message, the entire Bible, the entire New Testament all hinge on this one point, that Christ is the Savior who came to pay for the sins of the world and that sins cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. What we don't always address, perhaps as fully as we should, is why Jesus needed to be a human in order to do that. Here's the truth. If Jesus is God, the Bible speaks of him being God. In the beginning, he was with God and he was God. The Bible speaks of Jesus being the exact imprint of God's nature. If Christ was God, God can do whatever God wants to do. Why did God need to be a human? Why did God need to be born as a person to another person? Of course, in order to answer that question or any other question, we want to begin by searching the scriptures. We want to see what the Bible itself says about this answer, even if we have to go to multiple places in order to find it. For this answer, we, we're going to start in Romans chapter 5, and it's really a pretty comprehensive lesson. The problem is the language is complex. The message is a little difficult here, but let me read Romans chapter 5, verses 17, 18, and 19. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Again, complex and difficult, but Paul is using the word man or people or human here intentionally. Instead of saying by one man's disobedience, many people were subject to death and the curse of sin, etc. And by God's obedience or by one God's obedience or however you would put it, he doesn't say that. He's very intentional to say a human did this. And so it was necessary for a human to come and counteract this. Adam, essentially, the Bible speaks of Adam being the representative human. And when that representative human sinned, we're told that it negatively affected the entire human race. We're really told that it negatively cursed all of creation. And Paul tells us later on in Romans that all of creation still groans to be released from this curse that Adam's sin, representative sin, placed on us. Therefore then, likewise, we need a human representative whose 
actions whose righteous perfection could positively affect many, who could bring the righteous fulfillment of the law as a representative and to be a sacrifice for sins, again, as a representative human. We see this spelled out a little bit in some of the great catechisms that we have in Christendom. There have been catechisms written down through the centuries. Uh, Really, the word itself just means a tool or an oral tool of teaching. And generally, what you'll see is catechisms are written in a question-and-answer format where a question is posed and then an answer provided and classes are done with these things, etc., There's one particular catechism I'm going to use today. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a teaching tool, again, a question and answer type tool uh, that was originally compiled in the year 1563 in a town in Germany called, no suspense here, right, Heidelberg. Let me read you one of the questions. It's not the first question, but let me read you one of the questions in the Heidelberg Catechism. Why must Jesus be a true man. Why must Jesus be a righteous man? Answer. He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which sinned should pay for sin. Part two of the question. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for the sin of others. Next question. Why must he, why must Jesus also be true God? Answer, so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Again, in some ways, this is very complicated, but in some ways, and we think about this at Christmas time, especially in some ways, It's more beautiful than it is complicated. And the simplicity of it sinks into our hearts. Jesus needed to be truly human because Jesus was acting as a representative for humans, at least acting as the representative for all the humans who would choose him or allow him to become their representative, their Lord, if you will. Romans says all those who confess him as Lord will be saved. Jesus needed to be truly human in order to be the human representative. We needed a human who could perfectly fulfill the law, and we needed a human who could pay for human sins. But even if one person, and and as the catechism said, if a person has sinned themselves, then they are incapable of paying the sin for anyone else because now they owe an eternal debt to God. But even if one person was perfect, that one person then, in theory, could suffer an eternal punishment to pay for the sins of another person. One righteous person could eternally suffer to free one unrighteous person from the debt of their sin. In order to pay for the sins of humanity and without the suffering lasting eternally, It needed to be God. A divine being needed to pay in order for all sins to be covered. And all those sins covered under the weight of God's wrath in the way in which they were covered. 
And so the beauty of Christmas, the beauty of the baby born in Bethlehem is that the baby had to be, by necessity, the baby had to be fully God, yet fully human. The baby had to be of God, yet born of a woman. And so the beauty of Christmas is not just the beauty of another birth. We all get excited at the birth of a child, especially if it's a child that we know it's someone related to our child, our grandchild, a niece, our favorite neighbor, whatever, has a child. We get excited just because it's a newborn infant. It's a new life full of hope and full of promise. Christmas is far, far more than just another beautiful baby was born into the world. Christmas is this unbelievable mix, this unthinkable mix of pure God and pure man was born just precisely right to undo the curse that was wrought on humanity and creation by Adam in the original human sin. Christmas is this beautiful story of how God said this is a complex and deep, overwhelming problem that has been created by the rebelliousness of humanity. And there is this very finely tuned solution to fix it. And believe it or not, this finely tuned solution shows up in the form of an innocent, brand new born baby in a manger in Bethlehem and what we celebrate as Christmas. And generally at Christmas time, churches focus on Advent and we focus on Advent themes of hope and joy and peace and love. And those are beautiful themes to speak about during this Advent season. Advent just means the arrival or the coming of something or someone. So we talk about the first Advent of Christ being his birth at Christmas and the second Advent of Christ will be when he comes back to take the church to be with him. And we speak at Christmas about the beauty of God's plan, how Jesus was born to poor parents. My guess would be, at a minimum, Mary, as a female in that society, would have been illiterate. Quite possible that both Mary and Joseph were illiterate. Mary was almost certainly very young because she was only betrothed, had not actually been married yet. So she was likely very young, very poor, illiterate. And we read in the birth of Jesus to these poor parents, to these young, illiterate parents in this nowhere town, which is under the occupation of a foreign power. And we read beauty into that, that God accepts us all. God's not about our earthly qualities of royalty and material possession, wealth and knowledge. We read that shepherds were the first ones to be notified and notified by angels themselves of this birth of the Messiah. And we know that shepherds in that culture were sort of the lowest class of people in terms of both the socio and the economic rung of the ladder, culturally, politically, socially, economically, shepherds were the lowest class of individuals. And so here this great king of all the world come to bring salvation from God, born to poor, illiterate parents in occupied territory. And the first announcement is made to the lowest rung of the ladder 
in that culture. And we think about Christmas in that way. And it warms our heart that God is different and that God is not impressed by our wealth or our knowledge or our possessions, but more by our character. And those are beautiful themes at Christmas to go along with the Advent themes of hope and joy and peace and love, certainly. But we always want to remember that part of the Christmas story is not just that the king was born, but that the king was human because it was necessary for the king, is necessary for the Savior to be human. And God accomplished that through Mary delivering a child into the world. That's part of the beauty of Christmas. The writer of Hebrews gives us a little bit more detail, an addition, a footnote, if you will, to what we spoke about in the catechism just a moment ago. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus and his humanity in this way. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are themselves being tempted. Again, that is some beautiful language. He said he had to become like his brothers in every respect. Jesus had to be fully human in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be a person to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation just means an acceptable sacrifice. He had to be a human in every respect in order to be a sacrifice for sins that would be acceptable to God. And because he was fully human and suffered and was tempted as we are, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's a merciful high priest. The writer goes on in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 to say this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ understands us the better because he has lived as a human as we have. Christ understands our temptation, though he did not fall to the temptations as we too often do. Christ was tempted as a full human, and it gives him this ability to sympathize with our weaknesses, which allows us then in confidence to draw near to God's throne in prayer, to ask for forgiveness, to pray for additional strength and faith, pray that he deliver us from the evil one. And so as we celebrate Christmas, I do want us to celebrate the hope that the first advent gave us because it gives us confidence in the second advent. I want us to celebrate the joy that we have a joy that's really built around the fact that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus because he was a real human, a real personal human. I want us to celebrate the peace of Christmas because knowing that Christ was fully human, we know that he could be the propitiation for our sins, that he could pay for human sin as a human himself. 
I want us to feel the love of Christmas because nothing short of pure and perfect love could have sent God to take on human form. But I also want us to celebrate Christmas, just the fact that Jesus was a human, that he truly was born as a baby in the most innocent and obscure way to show us the things that are important to God are our heart and not our knowledge and not our possessions and not our belongings. And I want us to celebrate this Christmas that because Christ is a human, he understands us and sympathizes with our weaknesses and is able to help us as the great high priest when we are suffering from temptation and failing to those weaknesses. So Merry Christmas to all who might hear this Christmas sermon as we celebrate the human birth, the earthly birth the incarnation of God the Son himself into human flesh. Again, this unbelievable mix of God and man that was designed to precisely undo the curse wrought on us by Adam and human rebelliousness.